Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to THS 1220 and 98.1 FM. You're listening to the Ask Brian radio show. And Alex, how do you spell Brian? I think that's uh, with a B and an R and an I and an E and an N, possibly. Well, that's where I get always confused. Why do you spell Brian with an E? I mean, when I was going to school, I had a lot of friends. Brian Janelli, B-R-I-A-N. I had a friend, Brian Swanson, B-R-Y-A-N. The only Brian friend that I had with an E was some guy at the pub. His name was O'Brien, and he was always drinking a beer. But, you know, that was my neighborhood. I don't know about you. Why in the world would you spell Brian with an E? Well, in my neighborhood, we spell with an E because E stands for a lot of great things like excellence and exceptional and empathy and even experts for some reason. Well, a lot of our listeners don't know what empathy is, so I want to explain it. Yeah, I think you need to explain it because I don't know what it is. What is empathy? <laughs> Wanting to try to be in my shoes, and then you can figure out the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the biggest reasons why we have E is because we like to educate people, and we're very enthusiastic. I saw you, Emily. Got to be careful there. When she goes and you know she's thinking around, that's when I'm going to catch her. I'm very excited to be on this show, and that's another E that we have. So there's a lot of E's, but we also have experts on the Ask Brian Network, and that's www.askbrianbrian.com, and people can sign up as an expert on the Ask Brian Network, and you can ask an expert a question, all related to business. And that's one of the reasons why we have the E in Ask Brian. The real reason, though, is trying to get the domain for Brian Beer, I-A-N or Y-N. It was taken. GoDaddy probably already took it up just because I said the word David, and they probably said, well, all right, we'll take every name. That's just the way they are. Anyway. Getting back to basics and getting back to business. We have an interesting guest today. Her name is Rachel. Rachel, you have a... Oh, before we get any started, I didn't properly introduce... My co-host today is Alex Grossman in place of Gracie, who's on assignment somewhere out there. And we have Alex Grossman. Alex, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for coming on. I don't know what, what's been going on in your life. Hopefully everything's great. It is the holiday time, so... Uh, Hopefully everything's, everything's great. You want to say a quick hello? Always a pleasure to be here, Mr. Brian Johnson. And as always, Ask Brian Radio is a lot of fun, and I think we'll do some great things. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all those fun things that we normally do in the high-tech world of, uh, well, I like to call it electronic stuff. So just enjoying myself. So did you get a sleigh ride down the hill yet? No? On the snow? I did not. I did not. I, I did look for Santa, though, see if he's... Uh, in his workshop, just getting ready to build all those great new technology presents for all of us this year. Well, what I remember is the vacation movie where I think it was Dennis Quaid gets one of these, uh, like, like almost like these fast garbage can tops or something, and they're flying down the hill on these sleighs. Do you remember that? Been there, done that. It's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, that's, that's why you have no teeth. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, our guest is Rachel. She owns a Cookie company, chocolate chip cookie company, bakery. What, what products do you sell? 
Hi, everyone. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, I sell Steve's chocolate chunk cookies with molten salt. They are gluten-free, they're dairy-free, and we've made them with all natural sugars to be able to eliminate a lot of the processed sugars that we eat around the holidays. And so, yeah, the company is called Food and Courage, and I'm so excited to get to talk to both of you today. So before you start, when did you start that company? So I started Food and Courage in late 2016. So I've had the company for about five years. And before you did that, what were you doing in business? Yeah. So I have a very strong culinary background. I went to culinary school at a young age. I worked fresh restaurants for years. And the original reason that I moved to San Francisco was to start working in a Michelin star restaurant, which is exactly what I did when I got there. And a little while after that, I transitioned into what is called food styling assisting. So for years, I freelanced and I cooked the food that gets styled and shot for magazines and cookbooks and television. I used to work as a private chef in Silicon Valley Fund. So my entire background is wholeheartedly, passionately food. And do you like food? I do. You know what, <laughs> Brian? I do. I really do. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Alex knows because he's seen me before. I definitely like that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually drooling over here just hearing about those uh, those chocolate chip cookies and all, all their benefits. So just uh, excuse me if I drool a little on the desk here. Yeah. Alex no is definitely problem. Mr. Carbohydrate. He loves carbs. Um, oh, love carbs. Love carbs. Same. Anyway. Same. I'm more of a keto guy. Um, so, <laughs> so how do you shift? How did he come up with a concept? For food and courage. It's a great question. What does it mean? That's a great question. I call the company Food and Courage because ultimately I'm a straight shooter and I love everything to be face value. So this whole company is based around food and courage. It also because it can be a bit of play on words when we partner with larger companies. We could put your put your name in instead of courage on our stationery, instead of our packaging, so that way it could be like PHTS and Courage, and that way we're branding your company with Courage, which is always ideal, but our whole brand brand is based off of Courage. Every single part of the company, every way that we operate, everything is based around Courage. So that is why the company's name is Food and Courage. I originally started Food and Courage from a place of wanting to build something that is much bigger than myself and could have a much more sustainable impact than who I am. So I'm a very, I'm a, a person who's very passionate about seeing human trafficking ended, and I learned about human trafficking at a pretty a pretty young age, and I started doing walks with organizations like A21 in order to spread awareness and raise money and donate and try to build space for people to be free that were locked in that industry, so I really just looked around of what I had in my hands and realized that I had a really strong culinary background, and I could build out a product that could become a, a profitable business, something I knew I could turn a profit on, which is cookies sell them, and that way I could sustainably donate consistently compared to just donating out of my pocket or, you know, doing a walk here and there. I wanted to build something that was going to have a much larger impact than who I am as an individual. So in order to do that, I transitioned into being an entrepreneur, and that was the very beginning of my entrepreneurship journey. Did you start this alone, or did you have other people? I started it alone. I was, I did it alone for for years. I definitely had a lot of people come alongside me here and there, but um, not so much in a full-time capacity. So that is a, a downside to entrepreneurship that it can be lonely, but ultimately the passion that drives it is is so much more of a powerful force. 
So you decided you want to start this company, all right, and you did this alone. How did you sell your first cookie? Excellent question. So first, I spent about seven months recipe testing this cookie recipe in my San Francisco apartment before and after my day job and on the weekends until I had something truly excellent. And then I just bought some packaging supplies off Amazon, some little brown paper boxes, and I made little packs of three. I created a survey online on SurveyMonkey, and I, print, I printed out the survey link, and I, I kept three cookies, my survey link, an encouraging note, and a business card into my little brown paper box. I, I made a ton of them, and I just began to walk to local cafes in San Francisco, and that's how I how I landed my first client. As I went into these cafes, and I started to cold pitch, and that's how I landed my very first client, which was Contraband Cafe. And from there, I started building out partnerships with a larger co-working spaces like WeWorks or tech companies to do their holiday Christmas parties. But that that was my first sale, was just the cafe that I walked into with my sample pack. Yeah, that's very interesting. Nowadays, everything is online. Everyone says, oh, I started a company. 99% of people say, well, start a new company. It's got to be an online company. What are you doing online? And, and you, in, in this situation, you actually did it the old-fashioned way, and you went door-to-door, and you knocked on doors, which is what they did you know, back in my day, and you actually old-schooled and, and actually started that way. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. Are you, do you sell these online all now, or are you just still, still doing it the same method? We do sell online, online now. COVID definitely was a huge pivot for the company. So now on our website, www.foodandcourage.com. We have a whole a whole page where you can order online, but I absolutely still walk into places and cold sell my cookies. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> and you know why? Because you have courage. Because it takes a lot of courage <gasps> to do a cold sale. Let me tell you. you, you Come on. <laughs> you haven't warmed them up like your cookies, which are great. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. That takes a lot to you know. It's one thing to be the person behind the scenes that produces the product or or comes up with a recipe and comes up with something, and then selling it, you know, it's rare that you have the combination. Usually, you're either doing one or the other. Either you're on the production side, you know how to make a great product, but you don't know how to sell it, or you know how to sell it, but, you know, you could sell anything. You could sell pens, but you're not, not doing that. It's, it's an unusual combination. Yeah. And, and lucky. I think it takes a lot of guts as well. I mean, you know, you're, you're a young lady, Rachel, and, and you, you've taken this effort where I think a lot of people would go, I'd rather start a business and just do it on Amazon or eBay because it's really easy. You know, I don't have to touch anybody. I still have to do some branding, but I don't have to make the effort to go out there and spend my time talking to people. It's way easier to be a keyboard warrior today and sit behind the keyboard and, you know, slowly craft an email or a communication rather than be fast on your feet in front of someone when they say to you, you know, give me the 10 reasons why I should sell your cookie instead of brand X, right? That, you know, putting that smile forward, doing what you need to do, that shows a real a real commitment and an effort that I think a lot of people don't do today. How, how did you find that courage? I mean, did you practice or did you just say, I got a bubbly, sparkling personality and I'm just going to go hit the street? First of all, thank you so much. That is so kind. I really, really appreciate you saying that. Um, secondly, I, as a very young child, did an aggressive amount of fundraising for, like, my school or my soccer team or whatever. So at a very young age, I was always knocking on people's doors trying to sell them something. 
And I remember one time I fundraised so much, I got like the highest prize, which was like a limousine ride to Friendly's. I was like 11 years old or something. <laughs> Friendly's, wow. That's so East Coast knows that one. I know. <laughs> East Coast only. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was uh, super high college. That said, you know, I really believe that your, your brand is very often worth the relationships that you have via your sales, right? Like your relationships are really, really everything. And as an entrepreneur, one of the most stretching, growing, like beautiful things you can do is just put yourself out there time and time and time again and really the scale of an entrepreneur is really just how many times you can bounce back from a no. It really, really is. And it is so hard to get out there. But all I have to say is that the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the most valuable thing I've learned from it is if I can go out there in my startup and constantly put myself out there, I'll tell you what, it gives me so much confidence in every single other area of my life. And that is so invaluable. Like the amount that it grows me as an individual and it grows my character and yeah, courage, when you experience it in one sphere of your life, ultimately translates to every other sphere of your life. And that, that's invaluable. That's so invaluable to who I am. So I'm really, really grateful for my journey as an entrepreneur. Well, th- that's really actually very good. The question we have now is, how many people do you have working with you currently? <laughs> that's an incredible, that's a great question. So it's about 17 it's about 17. I outsource a lot of things. I bring on a lot of freelancers because that is how most people these days want to work after the pandemic. It's, it's up to the best situation for everybody. So I have about 17 people on my team. And you're still not making the cookies in your in your apartment and uh, selling them by box. You have 17. <laughs> I am not. that. Yeah, that would be very illegal. <laughs> I am not doing that. <laughs> no, that I house? have... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know any lawyers. Uh, we'll find one. Go ahead. I have a lawyer and they said that's illegal, so I'm pivoted. <laughs> I don't trust lawyers just, just so you know. They're they're bad people. <laughs> I'm kidding. We've had a lot of bad experiences, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so many, so many. <laughs> Max says the same thing, by the way. Um <laughs> So you say you're outsourcing, so is that in one place, one location, or do you have multiple locations? Where you're producing the cookies? So I have one location. I have the extreme privilege to uh, partner with a co-packer. Through the pandemic, I realized that I either had to scale my company or I was going to lose it 100%. And I'd already done a lot of research on how to scale. So it took me about a year's worth of re- uh, relationship building and research. But I have the immense pleasure to work with a co-packer out of Illinois. They're an incredible team. They have the ability to produce the, the dough at a much larger scale and still... Because it's a smaller facility, it's still very, very homemade and has just a lot of that really beautiful, like, artisanal, like, we shave our chocolate. It's not chips. It's not chocolate. Like, it's, like, hand-shaved, large blocks of chocolate, 60% cacao. Um, but, yeah, I have a privilege to work with uh, a co-packer, which is an, an incredible move, and they're, they're, really, they're really an incredible team, so I'm very, very grateful. And then you made a very interesting point with COVID. There's a lot of supply chain issues now. It's like, you know... It's not just toilet paper that they can't get. So is that being a, creating a problem for you in terms of getting any of the ingredients? It is. It, it really is. I don't know a single person who, like, is mass producing something that isn't just really struggling with that right now. The best thing I can really do is work ahead, which is what I do. I order ahead. I create a vision of what I want my sales to be in, you know, three, six, ten months. And then I, I give myself an extra, like, three weeks worth of ordering time. 
separately. The greatest things I've learned how to do since specifically the supply chain became such a large issue is just constantly to pivot, never come stressed or overwhelmed by what is completely out of my control. And to just pivot with it's ever in front of me and continue to, to book my sales much farther and farther out. Now, are, are you selling, selling the product nationwide? Uh, yeah, nation, just nation, nationwide. And uh, do you, are there any chains that, that our, our listeners might know about? Yeah, I'm not currently in any large, like larger chains, but stay tuned. We have some amazing things in the works. We will be there very, very soon. <laughs> So it's basically on the dotted line, but not not out the door. Exactly. That's exactly right, Brian. So you said you studied at, uh, did you study at culinary schools? And how do you learn to, you know, what what steps did you take for these to come up with a cookie recipe that, that you have now? And, and what made you say, aha, what gave you that aha moment? And, and, and why a cookie? Why a cookie rather than <laughs> something I like else? Them. I love cookies. I'm the cookie monster. (laughs) 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 Cookies are mass producible in the sense that if I was making barbacoa, all of a sudden I run into refrigeration and storage and such and such. Even like cupcakes, there's a lot of mess to it. Cookies are, they have the ability to be produced rather seamlessly. And I was looking for a product with the least amount of obstacles. I went to Johnson & Wales, and I studied culinary arts for two years up in Providence, Rhode Island. So after two years of that, and then spending another, like, seven years working at a really incredible, famous chef from all over the nation, the flavor palette of just always looking for texture and flavor and balance and depth and lightness and the soulfulness of food, that's something that's trained over years. So when I was building this cookie, I knew that I wanted something that was incredibly balanced, um, had a really crunchy outside and a really, really gooey inside that's thick and satisfying. I really want it to be a, a soulful cookie, and that's absolutely where we've landed. Uh, Rachel, we've been, we've been getting calls all, all over, and uh, they re- love your bubbly personality. So, uh, Amazing. I guess, I guess I have to take a second seat. Alex knows my, how my <laughs> ego loves to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to keep you humble. <laughs> that, that takes a lot. Um, yeah, it's a lot of work. A lot of work. <laughs> The biggest thing we had, when did you have that aha moment that you were onto something with that cookie recipe? And, and let's go over that story. Before you sold your first cookie, you must have had an aha moment that, okay, I'm, you know, this cookie number 97, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Why is it coming out this way? What do I need to do? And then you got this aha moment. What was it? This is- Excellent. Yes, I was absolutely sitting in my apartment in San Francisco late at night. I already worked my day job, probably plus some. And you're right, it was probably cookie like 97 or something like that. I think I had some friends over. I was constantly, you know, always asking for feedback from my friends. But, you know, obviously they hated all the free cookies that I gave them. And I just, I remember, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm an awful friend. Um, I... I just really had this moment where I realized that I had hit this beautiful medium and not everything in life is about balance, but I do believe that food is. So I hit this beautiful medium of like a very doughy, thick cookie with a crispy outside. And because I had learned to shave my chocolate, there's smaller bits of chocolate, there's larger bits of chocolate. So you have really incredible chocolate poles, but because 
the smaller bits are um, mixed in as well, you have really gorgeous textures. So you're not only experiencing the texture of the dough, you're experiencing the texture of the chocolate, you're experiencing the texture of the crunch, you're experiencing the texture of the salt on top. So overall, I got to a place where all of my flavors were very, very balanced, which is actually a good bit easier to get to than having your texture really, really balanced. So that was my aha moment. Now, um, each time you make a cookie and you're trying through this process of 97 cookies, you're writing down everything that you're doing each time because otherwise, when you get that aha moment, okay, great, I got the aha moment. Now, what did I do different, right? So how did you handle that? Did you just have 97 different recipes and t- cooking times, etc., to figure that out? Or you just, was it hit or miss? Now, how do I do that again? <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. What I did is I took this, I, I ended up getting this massive piece of like brown paper. It was probably about five feet long. It was about my height and it was maybe three feet, three feet in width. And I taped it up all across my kitchen wall. And so every time I made something, I wrote down exactly what I did. And then I just let that continue on to build and build and build. And I actually, five years later, I still have that piece of paper because it's so incredibly sentimental to me. And that way, as soon as I walked in the door, I have the ability to visually see everything creative that I've already built and processed. And that's actually just very, very energizing for me. Wow, you still have it after all these years. So that must be absolutely must be sentimental. Do you have the first just cookie you just sold? Just about that. The first cookie doll you sold? The next question is... Uh, go ahead. I do, I do have it. I, like, I, I do have the first check or invoice. Yeah, I have it. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely are sentimental, which is a good point. <laughs> the next question we have is, which is more important, passion or tenacity to be a successful entrepreneur? An excellent ask. I think tenacity is. I think that... Passion is something that we all have, and it's really important. It's an incredibly important aspect of life, and maybe in other areas of life, passion is more important than tenacity, but as far as being an entrepreneur, the tenacity is significantly more important because that is what consistently gets you out the door at 5.30 in the morning to do your side hustle before you hit your day job at 8 a.m., and that was my life for like a year. That was my life for a long, long time, and passion can get you up. But I'll tell you what, some days you are, you are tired and your passion gets tired with it. But if you're a person who builds a sustainable tenacity within you, you will never not show up for your startup. You will never not show up for who you are. I think tenacity wins all that as far as entrepreneurship. And I actually thought getting up in the morning was just when the dog, you know, licks your face and you go, okay, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for those of us who don't have a dog, we just have a startup. <laughs> There you go. Alex, you had a couple well, questions. Remember, yeah, Rachel, let me add to that. So when we were talking earlier, you said something that really, you know, knocked me and, and Brian a little down here. You said, talent doesn't really matter that much. So can you give us an idea of, of what you mean by that? Because a lot of us aren't talented. So we, we have hopes of being billionaires now. But, uh, but what do you mean by that? Wait, I can blow bubbles with my mouth. Is that a talent? Well, that's, I, I don't want to talk about those talents you have. They're, those are just scary. Scary talents. <laughs> yeah, talent, talent is an interesting thing. I think, I think you'd be a person with a lot of talent, and if you do not have the drive or the tenacity to take it anywhere, you will simply be a person with a lot of talent. I think that on the other flip side, and you hear a lot of successors and people who are actors or singers, you know, if you really train aggressively, it's the amount of work that you put in, athletes, you know, the amount 
the amount that you put in, like you're going to build that talent. Like people aren't necessarily born talented entrepreneurs. You're, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to get a million knocks over the head. You're going to get a thousand punches to the guy. It is what it is. But, and your talent doesn't hold that up. You can be really talented and not have a great attitude. And you're probably not going to make it the same way that you are as a person who's just incredibly humble and works with what's in their hands, which is, I think, incredibly important. It's just always look at to what's in your hand. But between talent, tenacity, and passion, like, I don't think talent stands anywhere near as close. I think, I think your tenacity and your passion are really, really what harnesses the talent inside of you. And therefore, that's what makes it powerful. Well, there may definitely be some truth to that. I mean, we know about so many artists who die poor, right? And then they're, mm-hmm. they're incredibly talented if they die poor because they're not entrepreneurs. And then there are people who just can sell anything and they live in those big houses in, uh, in Beverly Hills and those huge, huge penthouses in San Francisco and in New York. So yeah, there's probably, probably a, a lot of truth to that, but you have, you have this, this passion that goes on to do this. And you know, we were talking about a little before you, you chose cookies because they were, you know, they, they weren't necessarily easier, but they seemed like the right choice to make. So, in your entrepreneurial style, you probably had a business plan, right? Did, did you know what you were going to do? Like if you were sitting there in your kitchen baking and all, all your friends were there getting fat, eating all your cookies and, you know, the 97 varieties that you were testing on them, did you have a plan going forward or was it just, hey, I'm going to do this and just, just see where it goes? Well, well how, did you, how did you go about that? In the beginning, absolutely not. I did not have a specific plan. I knew that I wanted to try to build something bigger than who I was. And I just figured my best shot was to make something epic and then knock on people's doors who were already selling similar products to see if they would take me on. That was pretty much my whole plan. Also, at the time, I was 22, 23 years old. So, and I certainly have never gone to business school, culinary school, restaurants, all the way. So, the whole quote unquote building a business plan that has definitely developed over the years. And, you know, now I, I've rewritten it plenty of times and I'm sending it out for lots of feedback. But when I, when you first started to build something, it was wholeheartedly a passion. And I just decided I was going to start going for it regardless what that looks like. But day one, my plan was really just to walk down the street, see what cafe I hit and try to sell them my cookies. That was my whole plan. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like, you know, they, in this, you know, you're, you, you have an idea of how you're going to go fund it and what you're going to do. It reminds me of, uh, and, and Mr. Brian Johnson will get this, an old movie with Diane Keaton called Baby Boom. And he'll remember that one because he loves those old movies. I was thinking but more of like Gavin Costello, but okay. Oh, well, hey, that, that's <laughs> us, but besides the point. Who's on But, that? um, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the, the idea that now you're, now you're going to do this, how big do you want it to grow? I mean, do you want to go out and, sell this, sell the company or, or go, you know, raise capital and, you know, turn it into the next Nabisco or, you know, what, what, what are you thinking? That is an excellent question, Alex. I will continue to mass scale the company. Specifically right now we are charting much, since we're mass producing, you're charting much more like large conferences, people who do a massive amount of executive gifting and want to buy more like, 1,000 to like 10,000 teams at a time to do a mass amount of gifting and want a really delicious, also healthy product that is mission-oriented, helps society, gives back, 
you know, we want to be able to really help those people make their executive gifting what they do. We also, you know, still, still just sell online and in cafes and such, but I have no dreams of selling the company. The brand Food and Courage is wholeheartedly, you know, I, it comes directly out of my soul. And so I don't have dreams of selling it. And the truth be told is I bootstrapped it from the beginning and just let it snowball year over year. So bringing on larger investments certainly isn't a dream because everyone will tell you as an entrepreneur, keep 100% of your company if you can. Always try to keep 100% of your company. So I'll continue to scale as big as I possibly can uh, without doing that. But I, you know, I also think it's a really beautiful thing to bring on partners. You asked me earlier, you know, you, you know, you did things alone for a long time. Like, what does it look like to bring on partnership? Like, partnership is so many different things. You need so many different mentors in order to be a successful entrepreneur. There's no, there's no really doing it alone. I don't, I don't think you can really be successful at it alone. Uh, but we, yeah, we'll continue to scale. As you were chatting earlier, we're, uh, we're just a couple dotted lines away from being in some larger chains. So we're, we're growing for sure. And, and you have a purpose behind it. So I think that's, that's the greatest thing. You, you know, you're giving back and doing the right thing. And uh, the bigger you are, the more you can give, right? So that, that has another, uh, another aspect to this. So that, that's, that's one thing I'm sure you've thought about, right? Oh, absolutely. When I sell, when I go in and I pitch people, the number one thing I can think about is, if I can sell this many tubes, how many kids can I get out of human trafficking? And it drives me. I mean, it drives like everything I do. It drives the way that I pitch and I sell and I communicate. And it's so important. Your why is so excruciatingly important to what you do. You know, every, every single day in our lives, right? Like, especially when you have a startup because you're so prone to failure as a startup that is, you know, your, your why has to be so incredibly powerful. So, absolutely. Did you I think that's true. You're giving some of your monies to charity. Was that on day one, or was that something after a year or so that you decided to to charity? That was day one. Even when I was doing, you know, it was the very beginning. Whatever I was making a hundred bucks, I was I was giving ten percent. That was absolutely day one. And what drew you to this charity with the human trafficking? What pushed you that, in that direction? Was there an event? Um, there was not a specific event. I really did my research. So you know, as I stated before, I've been really passionate about seeing the end of human trafficking from, from a very young age. And so when I did my research, I found this organization, Thorn, which is based out of Oakland, California. So I lived in San Francisco for the first four years of owning this company. And that's the back, Oakland is the backyard of San Francisco. And I always want to sew back into the community that I'm very close to. So specifically what Thorn does is they've uh, created technology in order to scan the dark web and identify the victims in a lot of this trafficking material or dark web. And then they, they partner with much larger organizations to build out like extraction teams. So they specifically do a lot of awareness in order to protect children. So it was all the things I was really looking for. It's extremely relevant. I'm a very practical person. I liked that it was very technology based. San Francisco, everything is tech. So it's a very practical, very approachable way to end such a massive issue. And that's what I really appreciate and really respect about the organization. So that's why I chose it. So you started in San Francisco, you're in New York, okay. and, you're, and your production is in Illinois. Why, why are you traveling all over the place? <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, if the pandemic hadn't hit, I would probably still be in San Francisco, but the timing was just so right for, for the move to New York. Um, I, I'm originally from the East Coast, my family is out here, so I'm really blessed to be back close to them, and 
having a co-packer in the middle of the U.S. is actually really ideal because you're, you can get to the East and West Coast. That way you're not, um, it's a lot easier to be a, a national brand if you're, if you're co-packer in, in, the, in the middle of the country. Alex has a couple of questions. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so Rachel, I just, I really love the, uh, I love the conversation, the, the passion, where you are and what you've been doing. But the biggest question I have, and, and this always helps our audience, our audience is made up of a number of business people and entrepreneurs, and every one of them, you know, the, the pandemic hit, you were talking about how, you know, you, you went back to your family, you went to New York, you, you changed your supply chain to meet the pandemic, and all that's a challenge. But, you know, to me, it's, it's how you handle challenges that makes you a great entrepreneur. So let's take your worst day. Maybe it was, you know, you walked into a cafe and you, you pitched your, your cookies, keeping in the back of your mind that, you know, part of your earnings were going to go to something great and help people and change the world. But, you know, that person at the cafe was, was like Mr. Brian Johnson there and said, no, nope, I don't need cookies here. How, how did you handle that? What, 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 did, what did you do to to keep you going? What, what made you walk into, you know, go down the street to the next cafe and not go to the bar? What, what, what had you go forward there? <laughs> who, said she, who said she didn't go to the bar? Go ahead. Well, I, you know, I'm just thinking of you, Brian. I mean, come on. <laughs> I passed the bar, remember. <laughs> you did. I, you did pass the bar. Very good. <laughs> so funny. Uh, it's such a relevant question. I'm, I'm always really grateful to talk about this because, you know, you, you don't build a business without those days, and sometimes they're just not talked about. So I have a saying that I made up a couple years ago that I really live by, and take everything in stride and then lengthen your stride. So do everything you can in a day, and, like, the next day just stretch yourself a little bit farther. And that way I'm not constantly putting this insane expectation that I'm going to hit 40 cafes today and I'm going to land every single sale and it's going to grow my profit margin this much. And, you know, it's unrealistic. So I am absolutely, as many entrepreneurs are, um, an achiever. I really, really am. So, you know, failure is not, is, is not the dream. It's not the dream for anybody, but it can be, you know, specifically a smack in the face to somebody who is an achiever. So, yeah, I really believe in taking everything in stride and keeping the bigger picture in the mind, like, you know, marry yourself to the long-term, the long-term goal. Like, I'm absolutely a long-game girl in the sense that, you know, whatever happens today happens today. But if I position myself to be successful for, you know, 10 years down the road, then what happens today is maybe not such a big deal. Maybe it was just a little bit a part of the journey. And it was a little bit hard, but was it really so hard on what today was? Or did it actually just build me and give me a leg up on what I want to be building in the next 10 years? So, Ultimately, how do I constantly take a, a rejection? And, you know, I, I think the best thing you can always do is just ask for feedback. Like, oh, man, why, uh, why can't I sell you these cookies? Like, what, what are you really looking for? How can I really help you? And that way, every single thing that I walk into that is no, you can turn it right back around. Obviously, some things are just wildly out of control. Supply chain is, is brutal. And you have these days where you come in and all of a sudden, like, everything costs significantly more. Everything is late. And, that's not any fault of ours as business owners. You know, that's pretty far out of our hands. I, I'm going to say, you know, in the past couple of years, we've all felt like there's a lot of things out of hand. So actually just build really healthy habits into my life to make sure that I constantly have a safety net underneath me. So whether that's, you know, working out, like having a really solid routine in, a, in the gym, always like building really powerful community, making sure that I have like 
I have a really key relationship to my life. Having things that are stable in my life that are completely unattached to my startup is excruciatingly helpful because then all of a sudden, whatever happens to my startup in a day, I'm not all consumed by it because that's not what's consuming my entire life. And I think, I think that's really key because I think as entrepreneurs, it would be incredibly easy to just become all consumed by what we're doing. And therefore, when we hit failure, the failure is all consuming and it's brutal in the same way that then the highs are all consuming. But then you're just riding this roller coaster. So, you know, building really healthy habits and really other stable things and uh, all the other spheres of your life to make sure it's only one sphere of your life is, is incredibly helpful. Thank you very much, KHS 1220 98.1 FM. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.